What is up, everybody? This is Brayden from Flint Mastering, and I am the host and content curator of the Mixing Music Podcast exclusive episodes. And today we have for you an exclusive archive, which means you're going to hear an exclusive episode that DK and I recorded almost a year ago. You're going to have the chance to hear what our exclusive episodes are all about and how much fun and learning goes on between me and DK as we discuss technical tips and important techniques in relation to producing music mixing, and mastering. If you enjoy this episode and you'd like to be a part of the exclusive content we provide twice a week, you can do so by heading over to mixingmusicpodcast.com forward slash exclusive. Thank you so much for listening. We love you. We appreciate you. And we couldn't do this podcast without you. I hope you enjoy this episode of the exclusive archives. And with that, happy mixing, my friends, and stay saucy. Welcome back to yet another exclusive subscriber-only episode of the Mixing Music Podcast. I am your host for today and until the end of 2023, Brayden from Flint Mastering, and joining me are two good-looking fellas, some hotties with naughty bodies and facial hair for the month of November, Daddy mm. DK and James Dean. What's up, guys? Uh, that feels good when you like don't start us off with like making fun of us, you know. Yeah. <laughs> it's coming in the next episode. Get yeah. ready. Yeah. I don't know how to yeah, react like, to the positivity. Yeah, dude. What? What? Are, thank you. Oh, I'll take it. <laughs> but we have a clip today from Alan Mayerson talking to us about the importance and kind of his theory and technique behind the combination of sampled and live orchestra, and sampled and live instruments, mixing the two together. So without further ado, here we go. Alan Mayerson, roll the tape. Thiago uh, also asks, do you have any advice on blending orchestral live stuff with sample libraries, with different reverb sounds or ambiences? Uh, this is a big question beca uh, because sometimes nowadays people are used to the sound of the combination of samples and live. So in the beginning of a project, I sort of determine with the composer what the ratio is going to be between sampled orchestra and live orchestra. Maybe it's 100% live and we're not going to use any samples. Maybe it's 80% live with 20% samples just to help the, rhythm, the rhythmic element stay together. And then I'll try to keep the, you know, the, that relationship relatively the same all the way through. And sometimes it's the other way around where it's mostly going to be sampled and the live elements are there just to give it a little ambience and reverb and a little bit more depth and space. All righty. So we got a little bit of a taste of what Alan was talking about with his combinations of sampling, putting sampled instruments with live instruments. So let's start off with James. Tell us why you picked this clip, what you thought was interesting, and then we'll move over to Daddy D to uh, get his advice and suggestions about this as well. Yeah, for sure. So one of the main reasons I chose this, it was just a very interesting, I feel like it's not a question I've heard, like, you know, uh, producers or mixers get asked, at least on like these Q&A things. So I thought it was a very unique question that I think we run into a lot uh, more so from what I've experienced, uh, mostly like in with mixing sampled and live drums. Uh, sometimes they'll send a combination of both. Um, and also I, 
in Utah, I was working at a studio and they did something like this where they had someone come in and play uh, brass and play like, you know, strings and stuff. But we also did a layer of almost the same thing with MIDI. And I had to do a quick mix there on the spot with it. And I was kind of in a pickle because I didn't know what to use which element for. So I do really like what he said about um, asking what the intention is with it uh, and how sometimes the live streams are more to give the ambience while the um, the MIDI strings or the sampled strings are to kind of be, you know, more direct and stuff. So yeah, I, I just think it's a, it's a very interesting subject that doesn't come up much. Yeah. But should I just start talking? Oh yeah. Yeah. I passed okay, cool. I passed to, to Daddy D. Okay. Well <laughs> here's the thing. I don't do like orchestral cinematic music like as a majority of my work. I I would be lying if I said I haven't done anything. I do I don't do anything substantial, but I do like a few orchestral type things a year. Plus, um, for sync agency, sometimes they have me do like albums of like more orchestral stuff. But I have a lot of my classmates from school and a lot of my friends who are composers um, do have a lot of experience specifically in this. And there's two produce, two or three producers that I work with that almost every song, they like to add um, orchestration because they're more like um, old school, not funk, but um, more like soul-based, more like, you know, uh, Michael Jackson type music production, like 80s, 90s, where it's like horn section, string section, and they orchestrate the uh, the string section and they often send me stems with um, MIDI sampled strings all, alongside brass as well as real brass and real strings as well. So I do have a ton of experience kind of interfacing as the mix engineer who receives those stems. Now, it's not always in an orchestral standpoint, but in like pop music, even for the pop music that I work on, a lot of like dual sample and real life instruments. The reason why producers and composers typically do this is because real samples and the human that it, like humans making small mistakes feels real and authentic. It's also something about the space. And, but the MIDI is really great because you can program it. And there's like a lot of pros out there, like real composers get really crazy with like the micro um, adjustments like the dynamics and the sweeps and the legatos and like went the vibrato and stuff like you can control a lot with these modern day MIDI samples um, and they can get them to sound really realistic it's crazy um, so they blend real with the fake um, in order to enforce it just like we've talked about with like drums um, but to because it's like it's like samples are a little bit too perfect everybody's a little bit too in tune so you kind of blend them together to kind of get that realistic feel of space and tuning and, you know, slides and articulation um, alongside the stability of MIDI and sample based. Uh, this is, I like how what Alan said, which is this is a conversation. First off, usually that decision is made by the producer slash composer. Like if they send you stems and they in their stems, which if they have bounced correctly and professionally will already sound like the rough mix as is like summed. Um, they will basically like the blend has already been done in a way that they typically like it. I mean, I'm not going to venture away super far away from what they've already given me. Um, sometimes when I have no clue, which is very rare from like a professional setting, like when a producer sends me stuff, it's on purpose. So it's very rare that I work with someone that's so less experienced that I have to ask them like, what was the intention of this mix? 
We're like, what's the purpose of these stems? Because it's so disorganized or whatever. But if that does happen, then that's a conversation that I have before, just like Alan said. And it's not a decision that I make unless I truly feel that it's better this way or another, but I'm not going to like totally change the course of the mix. Do you like, when you do that, do you, do you process like the MIDI, like, instruments and the real like record instruments separately or do you kind of do them on like a bus together i do almost i almost never do like individual Hmm. in fact one of the producers that i work with that always sends me like strings and orchestration that's like his thing um he sends me all of the individual both midi and uh sample and real life but he'll always send me like a wet bus of his processing. And I almost 99% of the time, I will use that bus and not even the individual tracks. That makes sense. Um, the only time, the, sometimes like a like a cheating thing that I do is like I want a little bit more of the violin two melody going on. What I'll do is I'll use that bus, which I mixed, right? With EQ and compression or whatever. And then uh, what I'll do is I'll just... Um, bring out that individual violin too and I'll unmute it and blend it in as like a parallel into the bus. So instead of like having to then open up all the individual stems. Oh, that's cool. Um, yeah, so, so that's so a wait, trick when you do that, you that is that like blending it in like like a sidechain compression kind of thing or like it's you're just literally turning up the track? I'm literally just turning it up the track so it makes that violin two sound louder. Oh, cool. Yeah. That's interesting. Yeah, I just do that. It's, it's easy. I do think that... Um, there are problems. I know I know that like uh I do think the biggest issue with this and the most common mistake people made is that people just have a hard time recording real instruments from like a home studio or a small project studio or like small commercial studio perspective. Um acoustics really do matter with acoustic instruments like that. Um and people, composers, uh, lesser experienced composers, producers will often double the same instrumentation with the same distance from the mic. So it's like, it can lead to phase issues. Like that's a pretty common low tier composer, producer mistake. Recording engineer mistake is there's lots of phase issues from like doubling saxophones and doubling trumpets or like doubling, tripling down on like the violin player, the real life violin player. So like there's tips and tricks to record groups or uh, a single violin player to make a sound bigger without phase issue or like a single trumpet player. like And that I've said in previous episodes is just moving the distance every single time. I mean, sometimes even go as far as changing out the mic for different takes is great too. Um, but at the very least, just changing the distance. Like don't do the doubles from the same position, like step back or step closer or like just point the trumpet away from the mic, like make it be slightly different. Um, and, and you'll get less like phasing, weird phasing issues that some, for some reason happen all the time with strings and horns. Hmm. Yeah. I do know it's common too in like, uh, mostly like metal or like rock, hard rock is they will record the bass and then they'll turn the bass into MIDI and like do another layer of the bass, but like with a MIDI bass on top of it to kind of control the dynamics of it. Yeah, and that's like the general concept, right? It's like the point of doing like parallel composing, producing like that is for control. You know, you're trying to find that middle ground between chaotic live, uh, which is which is without the absence of chaotic, with the absence of chaotic live recording, like it feels fake, you know? So you want a little bit of it, but it's to control that and to kind of bring in that like, 
perfect sound and blend the two, right? So even with the bass, not only is it like a mix thing where you take up different frequencies and different harmonics to make it more feel more present, but it could also be like editing. Like I know in metal music, like they edit guitars a lot or like edit bass more for like the timing of it, you know? So it's even more, um, you know, whatever it is, it's, it's to blend that, uh, it's, it's for control at the end of the day. Yeah. It seems like it's up to the, um, like the producer to get a really good, uh, to get that blend figured out. And I guess like from what I'm taking away from this, like as a mixer, it's our job is just to make sure to respect that blend that they chose and to not stray from it. Yeah. And I, and I will emphasize too, like, this is something that I don't emphasize enough. Like if you really do as a listener right now, like if you really want to take your craft as a producer, as a composer to the next level, I mean, one of the most basic expectations, like it's so expected that I don't know why everybody's not doing this is like, make sure that you figure out your system to bounce stems correctly. Like name files correctly, bounce stems correctly, like bounce them the way that you mixed it because if you wouldn't have finished it, if you didn't like it the way, like our job as mixers is to finish the job. Like it's to finish it, not take it in a new direction and to reproduce it. So it's like, why would you do half the work and then zero everything out, take off all the plugins and then send it to us again, just so we have to start over and figure out which direction you intended to go to begin with. Like, let us take over from where you left off. Don't make us start over. That's like a silly thing. Um, any YouTubers, influencers, or audio engineers that you find online or friends that do it that ask you to zero everything out and to take off um, all the plugins, uh, they're quite frankly super inexperienced. And that is nobody in the professional realm does that. But it's also because everybody in the professional realm sends fucking good stems. Because I also have a lot of issues where they send me the stems and the stems, when, when I summed all together, when I hit play, doesn't sound anything like the rough. So that's like another. Yeah, dude, that literally happened this morning with that mix that we were messing around with. Yeah. Yeah, like the stems were so different from like how the rust sounded. It like, yeah, and it like in a sense like screwed over the mixer because it was just like, how are we supposed to match that? Like it was just so different. But yeah. And that's a whole, that's like a whole episode topic. In fact, I might want to talk about it like workflow to complement deliverables. Like that's mm-hmm. a whole regular episode topic. Let me write that down. Um, but like, Top-down mixing, for example, is like a pragmatic, pragmatic, practical solution to like bouncing stems to make it sound good. Rather, You know what I'm saying? So it's like, we'll talk Mm -hmm. about that on a different episode, but there are workflows that are more conducive to faster bouncing deliverables. Um, Like part of the reason why there's a lot of people that don't do a lot on the master bus is because by the time, if you do a shit ton on most of your mixing on the master bus and you bounce stems in Pro Tools, the way that it works is you bounce the buses. It goes, it bounces directly out of the buses. It doesn't bounce the processing from the mix bus and then individual stems. Like you, there's a workaround that you have to do in order to do that. And it, it just makes it super annoying. So, um, we, that's a whole nother episode, but in general, uh, when, when balancing samples or midis with real life instrument, that is a really great thing to do. Um, that decision is typically made before the mixer gets it. Um, and the mixer's job is to use both in order for better control. That's it. I yeah. like that. Don't level everything out when you export. <laughs> Leave the blend there. Sweet. Well, I think that's a good spot to wrap up. I have nothing to add to the conversation because I don't give a shit if you use samples or not. <laughs> There are a lot of composers. I'm serious. There's a lot of composers out there that do a really good job with like 
with stems or with the samples. It's so, it's like ridiculous. Like it's getting to the point where like this conversation is starting to become obsolete because it's like sample packs now. It's like East West or like fire, whatever. What is it? What is it called? You know what I'm talking Spitfire? about? Spitfire. Spitfire. Yeah. Dude. The, and, and like these composers that are like using all of the details, like articulation, MIDI control is just becoming absolutely fucking insane, to be honest. Yeah, it's crazy. So it's pretty cool. One day, all of us will be replaced by robots. So get your Grammys while you can. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's a whole that's a whole <laughs> philosophical conversation on its own. <laughs> and on that note of death and despair, James, why don't you wrap up this episode for us? For sure. Thank you for listening, everyone. We are we are very grateful for you guys um, putting up with Braden's shit and all the dumb stuff he says. Um, we are... <laughs> it's not funny. <laughs> hey, shut up. Yeah, it's not funny. Yeah, <laughs> yeah fuck me. Never mind. Uh, no, but for real, we, we're grateful. We have a great time with all this. Feel free to go check out the Mixing Music Podcast website, mixingmusicpodcast.com. Uh, DK has some pretty cool courses on there. Um, and we are... We we don't have any current sponsors, right? I'll cut this out. Just uh, your mom, you know. Oh, your mom this is, is sponsored, this is sponsored by my mom, Jackie Parrish. Yeah, yeah. just tell people mixingmusicpodcast.com forward slash sponsors if they want. Also, to okay. also, also to be fair, your mom has died in a fire. Yeah, she did. That's why. That's why you met her on at Costco. Oh, that's right. I, I was going to say, I don't know who your mom is, which is like the reason why it's funny. But now that I know who your mom is, now it's like not funny. <laughs> Can't make fun of your, fa- your mom anymore. It's too no, it's real. Okay. You can make fun of her. <laughs> that's only funny until you after this. Okay, okay. Let me do this outro. <laughs> no, you're not cutting any of this. We're keeping all say, of is, this okay. banter. Is this, this is good. Is this going in? No, I'll, I'll <laughs> this keep this in if you're okay in. with it. Yeah. Yeah, um, me making fun of your mom to realize that I know actually who your mom is now <laughs> dk was flirting with my mom at costco and hugged her and she said he hugged her for too long and i don't know how to react to that you made me sound like some sort of sexual predator well what this must what this mustache i kind of look like one i'm not gonna he, lie he kept telling her she needs to smile more <laughs> and it just did not go well oh my gosh <laughs> Well, I think all humans should smile more. That includes everybody. Yeah, but especially my mom. Hey, Brayden, why don't you smiling, you little bitch? (laughs) (laughs) Anyways, go check out the mixingmusicpodcast.com slash sponsors. Um, And yeah, without anything else to say, DK, sign us off. Happy wife, happy life. All right, good night. get enough of the mixing music podcast and want three times the amount of episodes every week subscribe to our exclusive content for only four dollars a month or forty dollars a year at mixingmusicpodcast.com backslash exclusive happy mixing my friends and enjoy the show